What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. What does the family table model mean for management, engagement, and performance? I'm CT once again at Engage Rocket, and to help us answer that question is Ms. Christine Pizzo. She's the head of design and creative at Design It, and her team has expanded dramatically over the past five years from 60 to over 400. And she's on the business side, is a leader who cares deeply about her team and engagement. So welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you. It's really exciting to be here. My previous podcast experience was talking about motorcycles on a chopper podcast as I ride. So nice to do something a bit more official this time. I remember you mentioning that. And if we have time, I'd love to circle back on what exactly it is that we spoke about uh, with choppers and motorcycles. But today, I think maybe you could share a little bit more about your background and about design it, what you've been doing, how the team has grown so quickly and any kind of immediate reflections that you have on that. So my background sits primarily within digital product creation. So I've been at quite a few startups and then one of the largest companies in the world, right? Building and designing highly custom user-centric experiences that span multiple platforms. So whether that is native mobile apps, responsive web design, Alexa experiences, watch experiences, right? So any kind of digital touch point and then thinking about the full ecosystem around that as well. So what's really captivating of now being in design it for me is that we have the ability to end. So we can look at a campaign to launch that digital experience and then do the analytics behind it and continue to iterate. And we can do a lot of touch points that are even further outside of digital. So sitting me back into my advertising design um, experience, which is really I think grounding for me, but design is highly innovative. It is fast growing in that it is a Wipro subsidiary. So it has a lot of ability to expand and scale really fast because we can lean on Wipro to provide experience and platforms and SME matters that we may or may not have as we've grown primarily through a Nordic based studio and then multiple studios in Europe and America's being one of the newer arms that is scaling up rapidly because we have quite a few clients that were able to prove our capabilities end over end. So I think what's been really interesting... That was a very exciting story of growth. Could you share a little bit more about your the profile of clients that you work with, particularly in the Americas? Any client you can think of that sits within either Fortune 500 or even small startups. So we're working with the Miracle Foundation. We're working with major airports that you've probably flown in and out of. We're working with banking services that you're using day to day. I won't really be able to list all of them, but I think it's extremely exciting that we're 
mid-size with the ability to play at the bigger scales of a lot of our competitors like Deloitte, Accenture, others. And then we can also be really nimble and flexible to sit against some of the more boutique agencies or advertising agency space as well, because we have the ability to do, again, design and all the way through the creative process. That flexibility has been really fascinating because our client profile then really changes because we can be really lean with our teams. And then we can also do very expansive, high touch experiences because we can land a full team and even use our global talent to fill out, say, for example, we just are going to be working on a Brazil-based banking company. And so we're making sure a lot of our designers are bilingual, right? And we have such a high diversity within Design It that is really amazing to make sure we're putting the right talent for the right, right scenario so that we get out amazing quality. Just as you were talking about that, it struck me that to be able to deploy such a flexible and diverse service delivery model while at the same time expanding your team 600% over five years would require a huge amount of management chops, for want of a better word. You, you really need to almost be like a leadership ninja to be able to, to drive your teams to perform well in all, like literally all sorts of different situations, client situations, creative situations, business situations. What for you, what was that game-changing realization or discovery that really helped you to craft skill of building high-performing teams? I truthfully have come to the place where as much as I love the client work and the projects, for me, people are our projects and not in a way that they need fixing, but more so in that they are the best thing that we have within our company. They're the best skill, best tool. And, and I'll talk about myself in that own same way where it's not anonymizing people, it's actually bringing them to the forefront and making people the thing we care about the most. Because when you have amazing high quality talent, that's how you get out the work. And so I think finding and retaining that talent is probably the hardest thing for every single manager. For me specifically, I talk about this family table model, as you mentioned, which it's interesting because that term is super controversial right now in that your work is not your family. The company does or doesn't really care about you, right? It's all over all the social media. And I resonate with a lot of that. But I think the model I like to portray is taking the concept of what it means to sit down at a table with folks that you find are equal and interesting and different to you, but they all have the ability to be a part of what we're doing. And yes, there's always some kind of dynamics of either a matriarchal model or your aunts and uncles, right? Whatever those kind of leadership roles that even sit within that family table model, but you're giving the opportunity for everyone to feel like they can pull up a seat and be invested and involved in what's going on. So it's really a highly focused advocacy model. And I'm pretty strict about it. For example, if we are making our strategic decisions for the year, like what strategies we want to work on, what are our goals, our KPIs, et cetera, I could go in a box and maybe even with a few leaders come up with what those should be. But the last couple of years, I've made sure across every discipline we have that we actually go through all of that in more of a design thinking type model, which so maybe there's my background coming in, but we'll do workshops and we'll talk about what's going on in the industry, what's happening in our business and what do we want to focus on as a team? The top things we want to tackle. And obviously there's a hundred things as usual, but then we go through that prioritization session together. And so whether or not everyone agrees with what's going on, they are involved and they understand the decisions that got made. And 
more often than not, what ends up happening is then they resonate better with it and they connect more to the work, to our strategies, to our goals. And so therein lies that. So including everyone, empowering others to work within that framework has been my foundation of how I operate. It, it sounds like the core of that family table model is that everyone has the opportunity to pull up a seat. And it's not that everyone's in this kumbaya environment in, in the company, but I, I really like how you phrased it. You have the opportunity to pull up a seat and contribute. You're not just there for the ride. You're there to give your voice. You're there to help to steer the direction. If you're a team of 60, that, that requires a very different process for, compared to when you're a team of 400. How do you go about avoiding that decision paralysis where everyone wants to give their voice and leaders feel like they have to get everyone's input all at once? There's multiple different frameworks, right? I think the first thing you have to do is decide which aspects of what you're working on should you bring everyone together, right? The strategies is a really great mm. example. But then when you're going after, say, maybe career architecture and looking at how are we restructuring titles and doing a reorg, which was the first thing I did within two weeks of coming on at Design It, that needs to be a much smaller team. And you have to then pull in those other leaders and those SMEs and you are still allowing others the opportunity to weigh in, right? But you are making sure that it's the moments that matter in terms of what audience you have and who you're yanking into the fold. And I think we've also tried to employ a few other frameworks that make sure that the feedback is there, even if they can't actually be involved in the decisions to get to maybe what they're providing feedback on. One of those is essentially a, a shadow board pulling um, a, a wide diverse of whether it is levels, age ranges, gender, ethnicity, all the things, and pairing those with leaders up at the top, whether they're globally or regionally, and being able to weigh in and act as a board for the company, even if you might not yet have a position of authority. And that makes sure that the leaders are in check and we get a lot more diverse perspectives. We're pulling in, say, maybe the tech innovations that some younger generations are so comfortable with comparatively. All of these frameworks, I think, are really fascinating and you have to be really specific and careful of, like you're saying, opening up that gate and making it too much of a everyone has a decision or nothing gets done because the decisions are taking too long. And it's very mm -hmm. similar to design thinking with clients or innovation work with clients. Do you have some kind of... I'm, I'm... I've just tested so many different aspects. There's something really fascinating about being a design leader, and I can go very long about that. But design is a process in the largest sense of the word, or as slim as you want to make it, very iterative, very experimental, willing to... Mm. like needs a lot of different voices, wants to hear from the user, wants to hear from stakeholders, wants to hear the client's business values, revenue needs for whatever we're working on. And it's taking all of those points and then able to filter them, to rebucket them, to I've taken that same model in leadership. And I tend to be pretty nimble and like fast with, okay, let's spin up this new initiative and see if this will work and test that, but be willing to crush it later if it's not operating well. The one thing to be cautious of and very similar to the, the family table model even is you have to be mindful of how many initiatives, right? You really have to keep a focus and a prioritization. And if we tackle enough things, then we'll tackle more, but it can't be all the things at once. I had a designer once that had 
eight different initiatives. They were like plus oneing essentially mm. on the side. And they were like, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't do anything. I feel like I'm letting people down. And I was like, yeah, you have to learn to say no to some things, right? You have to really find a focus. You can't do a hundred things at just like a small touch. You really need to dig in if you want to make true impact. And I've tried to do that same model with myself, even in terms of what, how I get involved and what I get involved in. I can talk a lot about how I've been really strategic with what plus ones I even take on myself as a leader and how that defines the impact I have in the scale. Because I think as a leader, the number one thing we struggle with is context switching constantly. It'll be noon. It's not even lunch yet. And I've probably had eight different meetings that in each of those eight meetings, there were something completely different clients, different HR cases, what have you. And they all have a hundred pieces of facts and data and context surrounding them that your brain is just going to shut off really fast. And you have to learn mm -hmm. to work within that. And I think be really capable in terms of context switching that actually nets out actions. You sound like one of a very rare breed of leaders who can on one hand, tackle and manage all of that context switching that comes with being a senior executive, but at the same time, have the bandwidth to, to invite others to, to impact you. And, and if I'm hearing you correctly, it's almost as if every engagement or team engagement model is pretty bespoke to the situation and, and you iterate along the way, which is great um, because it's so unique and catered to that situation. But at the same time, that's a lot of cognitive load that you as a leader have to bear um, with every single initiative. And I, I'm almost imagining that like, you've got to design a new engagement model for every single major initiative. And how do you juggle that? I do not have Beyonce or The Rock's hours. They like, <laughs> I don't know, some magical sense of time. I do have a lot of models and, and I... I it's funny, I wouldn't even call them that officially, but it's just how I operate and assess the situation and like who I yank in for different things. But I have a few that are tried and true through the years that have worked really well and I'll pull it to a new company and design it. But there is this bit within there that I've talked a lot about over the last few years around strategic delegation. And I know I keep using the word strategy a lot, but that is how I think of my role is every single bit of it is a puzzle to figure out. But this concept of delegation is obviously like one of the top leadership skills you need to learn. But I think there's a way you can do it to just another degree that it, again, it empowers people and allows more to be involved. I've been known for saying a lot that I put people in situations that they might not even realize they're ready for. And I feel like because I have been Thankfully, given that by working for a lot of amazing leaders myself who've done the same for me of recognizing she has the capability to be put into the situation that she would not have raised her hand for, and then we'll do amazing at it. And I have tried to do the same for others, but in a way that is hitting at their specific skills, not just their role, not just their level, not just what they have been doing, but what they are intrinsically passionate about and capable of doing because what that does and i'm a seven on the enneagram scale which means i very much to see the big picture to set it up to innovate but when you get down to the nitty-gritty that's where i struggle to stay present so i think that's why the strategy of me working within all of these models and inviting a lot of other folks in works because i've understood that's my leadership model and for example i 
had a designer that we were talking a lot about improving our interview process and going after everything from questionnaires to intake and all of this. And I could have sat down and done it. And I'm unbelievably passionate about it, but I had a designer on my team who really, she wanted to step into strategy, hadn't really found that space to do so yet. And I was like, why don't you just put together the initial thoughts of what we could do for this process? And she ended up overhauling it to a degree that I still think is one of the best representations I've ever seen of creating a full suite of supportive tools for an interview process. So cheat sheets by level, even talking about what is our philosophy of design so that we can use that information in our interviews. And I've ended up using that deck about a hundred other times with clients as well, because she just created such a depth of richness within the work that I don't think I would have had the time to focus on as a leader because I have other things that I'm accountable to. And I have the ability to then come in and advise and steer the ship on a lot of these initiatives and course correct, et cetera, if needed, just maybe like a creative director within the work, but I'm looking at it from what is the business impact? How can we streamline that and make it consistent across all the other teams? I don't think about just the box I'm maybe supposed to play in. And so I have to keep my own bandwidth very protective, like you said, and I keep myself focused, but that delegation I think is the biggest piece of how I can get a lot done. And again, it's that empowerment piece. And hopefully that's the advocacy that folks then are able to want to connect with the company and the retention increases when you allow mm-hmm. them to be a part of the solution. Christina, we're coming close to time and I want to like give give our listeners something that they can take away and implement immediately. Um, you mentioned a few different possible tactics and frameworks, one of them being having that shadow board. You mentioned, you just mentioned about strategic delegation or giving stretch assignments to people based on their skills and pulling them into new new experiences that they can really stretch themselves and find areas of competencies that they may not have known that they had before. How would you break everything down that you've said into some kind of like almost leadership framework? Like if you were advising another C-suite leader or a a head of people, here's how you can implement this family table model. Here's how you can become that much more inclusive in the kind of decisions that you're taking organizationally. Is there a framework or something simple that you want to communicate to the listeners? I had an amazing executive coach a couple of years back and we worked through this kind of leadership manifesto in a sense for myself. And I first had to define how do I operate best and what do I believe in as a leader? So then that created the environment that I wanted to build within the team. And so when I go into any team, new, old, et cetera, I then have to the people within that as well and best how I can work with them. So what I would say really simply is to first start with what I call a graveyard workshop where, and this is best if you're coming into a new team or you really feel like you need to refresh things if everyone is getting stagnant. And if you're hearing a lot of feedback around, we used to do X, Y, and Z. So I graveyard is put up every single initiative, every single thing everyone cares about up on the board, whether it's sticky notes, what have you. And then you really either put some to rest that no longer need to be worked on or are no longer relevant. And then you collectively prioritize which ones we're going to resurrect or which ones we're going to renew and and create something new. So what this ends up doing is, again, everyone understands 
why we're going to not focus on the thing anymore. And you can start to pull people out of the past and look forward to the future. So to me, that is the most crystallizing type of process you can go through. And after that stems very simply all of, again, like your annual goals, quarterly, what have you, and your strategies, and then how people are interacting in those scenarios. And you can create a few opportunities to have folks raise their hand. You can even have them raise their hand by themes. So these types of things Mm -hmm. I want to work on or raise their hand specific to that actual defined initiative. And then what you have to pay attention to next as a leader is There are many people who are very passionate and they don't know that maybe that isn't actually where they are the strongest. And so their performance doesn't always match or the opposite, right? They far exceed coming in as a leader when they might be more of an early career individual and not in a leadership position and they just naturally took it on. And then those are the people that you do that strategic delegation with next. Like those are the ones that will supercharge the rest of your team and pull everyone with you because not everything can be just from me, right? Or from the top. So I think you really have to focus on how can you understand your team members? And when it scales, that is harder and you have to rely on other leaders to help you with that. But if you at minimum have five to 10 plus of those who are highly engaged, highly motivated, and will again, rally others to get things done, the amount of things you can do is exponential, which is really the exciting part when you see that work. I'm going to boil that down to three key steps. It sounds like one, I really like the idea of a graveyard workshop. I'm going to go dig it up and pun not intended and put it in, <laughs> in the show notes. I think there's got to be some some way to, or methodology to be able to con- conduct this. What I really like about that is how it, I think it addresses what everyone brings to the table and collectively we can then decide how to move forward i I really like that because there's so many there's we call it baggage and emotional baggage around so many different initiatives but there i've never really heard of a mechanism to be able to deal with that directly and at the same time put them put some to rest and at the same time take forward what needs to be taken forward the second piece that you mentioned was around uh, matching passions and skills or competencies so yeah. there's some cases where people just need a reality check you maybe you're super passionate about some part of design but actually you're not that great at it so, or the other way right you might be super good at something but you just don't know that you're good at it and that's where strategic dedication comes in and then the third piece that i, I was hearing from you was really building a really solid leadership bench because at some point you can't scale your own leadership and the only way to do that is to build other great leaders around you which actually means that you start developing these leaders yourself when your team is still smaller and then as your team scales these guys can then help you with their leadership as well with the new people that are coming in i did the math a couple years ago that i think i had about 87 percent of the leaders that i'd seen within the last four years were actually grown through the company and not hired externally i i also do very much believe you need to be willing to look externally as well, because sometimes you very much need that fresh perspective Mm -hmm. or their background that they're pulling in. So I always make sure to keep an eye on that. But I think this model has very much seen to grow leaders and, and discover who they are, because that's something not everyone knows if they want to manage until you get in it. And for me, it's not always just the people aspect of the managing. It is so much of that puzzling, solving it, figuring it out, that testing and the iteration, like that is where 
controlled chaos is maybe a good way to say it. <laughs> that I think is where I shine. And maybe it's from working in the restaurant business and so forth when I was younger. But yeah, I love that controlled chaos brings us just about the time, Christine. So if people want to find you, what's the best way for them to do? Yeah, if you type my name and hopefully you'll find it pretty simply. I'm on all the social media. Most of them are open. So if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, Instagram as well, like those I'll get almost instantly. But I teach on the side. I also have a lot of lifestyles or hobbies, right, that I'm passionate about. And so please feel free to contact me about anything. And I really love to mentor or can connect you with someone as well within your lane of skill sets. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today, Christine. And for those who are listening, hope you enjoyed the show. Make sure you drop us a review and tune in next time on the HR Impact Show, where we'll have another great leader sharing with us the best practices in building an elite team. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.